Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is CNN. What's that? Oh, I just thought the James Earl Jones thing was kind of cool. Oh, wrong show. Right. This is John Luke Picard. Shut up, Wesley. <clears throat> Sorry, say again. Just the tag. Gotcha. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 272 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. I also have Hyman Lopez Jr. on the line from Seattle, Washington. How's it going? All right, well, let's dig in with some Ask MTJC. I mean, what do you got? Yeah, I guess this is spoilers for content that's coming up in this very show, but uh, the AirPod Pro, or AirPods Pro, oh, see, I'm already careful, messed up. careful. <laughs> The Pro AirPods <laughs> have come out, Pro and ball, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that. And again, this is not a visual medium, so this will be in the show notes for those of you driving at home. Uh, but uh, somebody tweeted that uh, the internet is very fast, so the visual design of the new headphones looks um, like the um, Bell Sprout Pokemon. It could also look like a hair dryer, or it could also look like Pingu, which is a like Swiss or Swedish uh, claymation penguin right yeah, or in your case uh, tim you you rightfully replied with uh, i think this is what plants versus zombies probably yeah the pea shooter yeah 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 and, and I, I know that because one of my grandchildren was dressed as a pea shooter many moons ago carol makes costumes uh for for all the neighborhood kids and stuff like that so yeah he she made a pea shooter once and, and it actually had to operate it had to actually shoot peas out of it yeah so what costume hmm. did you make for you tomorrow for tomorrow uh we discussed a couple of options but uh i'm i'm yet, yet again i am i'm i'm gonna have to come up with my own thing last year hmm. i went as a uh, I took one of my my uh, small scale guitars and, and I put on my uh, MacWorld tie dye T shirt and went as like a hippie rock star, right? Mm, so that's too easy. I know. Well, you know, it's a, it's, it's an office. You know, you don't want to get mm. too carried away. Yep. See, I feel like it doesn't get any easier than what I could do, which I've I've told people on the interwebs. It's like if you don't have time or money for a Halloween costume, you can go as Elliot from Mister Robot. It's the easiest costume. Oh, just get, just a get a hoodie and a backpack, yeah. and you're done. Wow, I wonder if I have a hoodie. 
hoodie. <laughs> it's getting cold now, so I'm wearing a hoodie all the time. Da- I can go as Christian Slater, though. I can put the glasses on and the baseball hat and follow you around, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's such an interesting show. No, no spoilers for people, but it's interesting when you watch the... In- I'm sure you're watching season four, but the interplay between whoever the third person is and Elliot and Elliot's dad, right? Who are, and, and it's like the, con- the, the conversation seems to flow, but yet if you know the secret that is revealed at the end of season one, it's kind of interesting to see how that plays out, right? Mm-hmm. No spoilers. I've never watched this show, so don't say anything more. Yeah, season four is coming out. I'm actually not up to season four yet. Well, I, I've seen all of season three and everything, but I haven't been keeping up. I need to start binging season four, the final season. Yeah, yeah. But it, but it's, even if you watch the you know season two, season three, it's the same same sort of thing. It's much more prevalent that kind of third third person dialogue that I'm talking about mm-hmm. in the uh, in the latest episodes. So they're getting there's this, it's still kind of a weird show, surprisingly coming together and an easy easy costume. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's true. I, you could go with Zuckerberg too. Just put on a t shirt, right? Yeah, that's true. No? <laughs> He's got the same jeans and t shirt all the time, right? It's a kind and of a carry around a glass of water, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so yeah, did we do? The, so yeah, so there's another Ask MTJ scene. This one's actually for me. Um, what did I say? Oh yes, this is my my PSA to people out there. Um, a couple of weeks ago, or a couple, I guess a month ago, or actually when I guess when Catalina first came out, I suggested that you could, because of the miracle that is APFS, and, and when you create an APFS volume, it takes up zero space on your hard drive. If you have enough space to install Catalina, one of the things I discovered when I was running the beta is that Catalina breaks up the your volume into two separate volumes. So you have the Catalina operating system volume and then you have a Catalina space data drive and so all of your user data and all that kind of stuff goes into the data drive and all the stuff that Apple doesn't want you to touch so for security reasons obviously goes into that read-only operating system uh, volume right so you can y- y- using some trickery you can you can create a new PAPFS volume you can install Catalina onto that volume and then you, you create a dummy account and then you go back and you create your own account and then you before you use it modify it to use your your Mojave home folder so you don't have to move your data around, you know, you don't have to change your settings and all that kind of stuff. It's all preserved, right? Which is fine. You can run Catalina that way. I've discovered a few hiccups. I'm not sure if it's related to, to that, that idea, but the problem is when you go back to Mojave, which I had to do this week for reasons we'll talk about when I do my pick, I found that all of my, and I've got a picture here of my doc, all of my applications that were that Catalina and Mojave were confused about um, all became question marks in my doc, right? They're all still there. Like there's, there's a catalog or a Catalina version of Mail, and there's a Mojave version of Mail. There's a, um, you know, uh, all the sort of Apple apps are the ones that are all question marks here. So I had they weren't gone, but I had broken the symbolic link on my dock, right? Um, which was kind of a pain to have to try and rebuild. But because I'm still I'm still not ready to migrate my main machine over to Catalina fully. But uh, and the other machines that I had done this, I'd done with a couple of test machines, and I noticed today I went a couple of days ago I went back on one of those, and the same thing had happened. So my advice to you, and this is always the case when you try and do this kind of beta testing, and you want to preserve your home folder is you might mess things up a little bit but uh so of course as we always say before you do any of these crazy kind of things back up or make sure you have a good backup if you need to restore for whatever reason right but oh, what is this what is this mohave thing you're talking about in your tweet Jim? mojave oh mojave? yes the mohave oh Mo- mohave the mohave home drive yes that's yeah true. yeah yeah that's i i spelled it phonetically obviously but um ah. what i was also going to say too is was i wasn't really sure i've had, had heard like i have upgraded my microsoft to 2018 i think is the latest uh, Microsoft suite of Office apps. 
Um, but if you have Office 11, it won't run on Catalina. You get the little stop sign through the through the icon. And I also noticed that all of my uh, Adobe CS6 stuff, which probably have 32-bit code in them, are, will not run on Catalina as well. So I've been humming along with you know sort of High Sierra and Sierra and all that kind of stuff. Uh, those apps. So yeah, it's interesting. You can I think you can probably look online before you update to Catalina to make sure that uh, your your uh, money making apps are are compatible or you're able to update update them to uh, something that will work with, work with Catalina. So yeah, so my PSAs don't do what I told you to do a couple of weeks ago unless you're really really brave and you can handle putting everything back like an animal, as I said here. So that's my PSA. Questions, concerns, thoughts, nothing. Not much other than I, I think like a fair number of people out there. I have not yet upgraded to Catalina, even though uh, a version bump came out just today as we record this on uh, yeah, Wednesday, yeah. the 30th of October. And uh, I'm kind of uh, kind of waiting just because I, I have an older Mac and I don't want bad things to happen. Um, I might wait until actually I buy a new Mac, you know, fingers crossed that they'll sneakily release a new uh, Mac, MacBook Pro. I'm running on 2013 MacBook Airs and, and I've been running on the one since since uh, WWDC, um, there were some growing pains through the beta periods, but it's it's a really solid operating system. I mean, when I went down east and we recorded a couple of shows down there, um, I was rocking the uh, the MacBook Air, um, the, the one with Catalina on it. It's it's it, it's a pretty good operating system, and it has some nice features in it. I mean, it's like iOS 13 in, in a sense that it's, it's sort of it does feel like an upgraded operating system. It's not like a speed bump like we had you know with the Snow Leopards and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, I do like a lot about Ma- uh, Catalina, um, but the only thing that's holding me back personally is is if I'm still supporting apps that I'm building with with Xcode 10, and I'm also um, still reliant on the things like Illustrator. I either have to bite the bullet and up my up my thing, or find replacement apps. Like I like I said the other day, I, I have the the Affinity Designer as a as a maybe a replacement, and I know some people who are are happy with that as a replacement for Illustrator. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it your mileage will vary, right? Definitely. But why do you need to still have Xcode 10? Um, long story, just because because uh, I'm still running some older code, and I just want to make sure that you know I, I don't want to get into the whole headache of having to you know go through and, and update all the sort of deprecated stuff. There's there's a few things that are deprecated between 12 and 13 as well, right? Mm. So iOS 12 and 13. I'm still supporting some older clients with. Uh, um, uh, iOS 10 and a couple with iOS 9. So yeah, one thing that's that's kind of annoying with Xcode. It's been like this for a while now. Is that in the old days you could not only set the deployment target, which sets the minimum version, but you could set the version of the SDK that you want to build against. So even yeah, it's with the target, what do you call that? Right? What do they call that? Yeah, it used to be called the target. Uh, the uh, well, it was in the build settings of the target. It, I forget exactly what they called it, but you could set the the uh, SDK version. You can't do that anymore. Oh, and you, yeah, there was there was something you can also set this swift thing what was that called you can set the swift version yeah but you can't for example in xcode 11 at least i haven't been able to figure out a way to to build against the ios 12 libraries the ios 12 sdk yeah in xcode 11 you used to be able to do that anybody knows how to do that now give us a shout Hmm. we'll we'll give you some creds on the show oh you mean you can't you can't run 11 and uh, you can't be rocking ios or xcode 11 and say i'm building for 10 or 9 or whatever so so there's there's the version of the ios sdk or or mac os whatever SDK that you're using, and of course there's the Xcode version, and there's the deployment target, which sets the minimum version that you can run against. But but you, you so but there used to be an Xcode, regardless of what version of Xcode you were you were running, you could set the SDK that you want to build against to an older version if you still happen to have it on your machine. Yeah. So the equivalent today would be I'm running Xcode 11, and I want to build against the iOS 11 libraries, let's say, or the iOS 12 libraries uh, instead of the iOS 13. Uh, 
libraries, mm-hmm. the iOS 13 mm-hmm. SDK. There doesn't appear to be any way to do that anymore. Yeah. yeah. You know what I just noticed here, actually, is that um, the command line tools, is if you go under locations, uh, command line tools let you, lets you choose whether you want to run the command line tools for Xcode 11.1 or 10.21, right? That's true. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. Command line tools, you can switch that, and you can do it with Xcode Select as well on the command mm-hmm. line. But yeah, yeah, you can do that through Xcode. Yes, you can. But again, that's that's the uh, that's the tools, the Xcode tools, not the SDK, not the iOS SDK. Yeah, I'm looking for the I'm looking for the setting where you used to be able to choose which um, it used to be under the Xcode menu where you could choose which I want. Uh, like you know when you could have different uh, versions of Swift, but it seems to be gone. Like you said, right? No, there is still a version. You can still change the version of Swift. Where is that? Uh, okay, let me fire up Xcode. Hold on. Because like when the, when you know when when you're going through Swift betas, you can choose to download it. And there's a name for it, slices or something like that, or not slices. So if you if you find the uh, Swift compiler dash language setting, yeah, where's that under? It's just Swift compiler dash language, and oh, and build sweat build settings in build in settings. Your okay. Oh, target. maybe it's open an app. You're saying under under build settings in the actual project, right? Yeah. When you select, so you select on the, the you select the project uh, settings in the upper yeah. left of the mm-hmm. of the uh, left you know the left column there, uh, and it says project and targets. You can do it either on the project level or the target level. You select your target or your project, uh, and then scroll down until you find Swift Swift compiler dash language. Mm-hmm. And there's that's a group. Then there's a property inside there or a setting called Swift language version that you can set to five or point two or four in my particular version. Yeah, I see. Right. Yeah. Hmm. But there used to be. I swear there was maybe maybe it's because of the. Um Something I was thinking. I was thinking of something different, but there, there was a way, like like when when Swift versions are are being like betaed out or whatever, and you want to try them, you can you can load them up in your Xcode and try them out, right? I mean, maybe you have to have more than one loaded at a time. That's why I'm not seeing that menu. Oh, you're not, not seeing that out. menu. Do you have all selected? No, no. I mean, no. I see the menu in in the build project, but no. I mean, there was a general there was a general thing in in Xcode where you could change which uh, which Swift was running, like like whatever is five point two is not out to the public yet, right? Right. So you but you could download the uh, I can't remember the name of it. So it has a, there's a word for it. You can download that version of Swift and put it into your Xcode and, and try it. You know. Um, oh, I know uh, what you're talking remember. about. Yeah. Um, but it has a name. What's that called? Yeah, I don't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I linked a story here about uh, website accessibility. Um, seems to be heating up a bit. Um, so I've got the, uh, the headline says website accessibility for people with disabilities is still an issue, and here's why. And this has to do with the American uh, with Disabilities Act that we talked about a few weeks ago and this um, recent ruling uh, about the guy against who went up against uh, Domino's in the Supreme Court. So accessibility is becoming a, a sort of a hot button topic with, uh, if you read through the article, with um, um, pe- persons with disabilities and, and various websites and things like that. I guess they're going to go after larger and larger ones, but uh, it could be a challenge for many of us, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think most indie developers are probably, you know, too small to be noticed, so they're probably under the, uh, under the radar. But right. yeah, if you work for a large larger company, then definitely it's something you should be thinking about, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's another group here called DRA, the Disability Rights Advocates, are uh, looking at that, looking into uh, companies that are not uh, making their products uh, accessible, websites and things. But I mean, like, realistically, uh, why wouldn't you? Because you're going to lose business, I guess, right, if you didn't do that? Mm-hmm. Potential business? 
So how about that baseball game? How's the score? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Still one to nothing. Astros. How far into the game is it? Bottom of the fifth. Oh, okay. Plenty of time to go. Yeah. So you know how many innings a baseball game has, right? Nine. Yeah. Okay. Just check. Mm-hmm. And there's only three downs, right? <laughs> three downs. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know how to play baseball, Mark. Yeah. How many How many points do you get for a touchdown in baseball? None. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No. You Canada is uh, respectable for baseball these days. I would say. When I played baseball as a kid, I was a pitcher. Yeah. Yeah, I was a catcher for a catcher for a try it for a catcher, but I, didn't, I got cut. Mm-hmm. But I was a pitcher for a while. Sort of surprised that Vancouver doesn't have a baseball team yet. I guess they're close to Seattle, but there's no there's no West Coast Canadian uh, baseball team. Right, right. And like I said, the Buffalo Bills come up here for football. They play up here in uh, our stadiums. We have obviously the Canadian Football League, which right. is a whole nother story. What hear noises that you? Now, what do you him. what do you call soccer in Canada? Soccer. Oh, okay, you don't call it football. No, we don't call it football. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the people, the persons who are you know from European European persuasions would call it football, but mm-hmm. it's generally known as soccer. We have like a pretty good soccer team to here too. The uh, what do they call them? My friend Annie's yelling on her phone right now. Um, Toronto FC, Toronto Football Club, I guess. So they do call themselves football. Well, FC, yeah, yeah. But but the, oh, the FC, game is not going, FC. Oh. Yeah, FC. But you, see, but you said football, Canadian club. football yeah. club. No, but we have Canadian football. That's a different right. game. That's right. That's like your we have we have 115 yards. Yeah, uh, in a field, and we I think we have three downs. Wait, you, you actually have yards in Canadian football? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, how interesting. Yeah, we don't. Well, <laughs> the metric system hasn't taken over everything, Mark. Just most things. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was interesting. I wonder if they. I wonder if they maybe it is 100 meters. No, I mean 115 yards. That's longer than your football field. I don't know why it's longer, but there you go. All right. Last time I was talking about uh, OAuth and OpenID Connect, and I tried to do my best to explain in a non-visual medium what that's like. But I think it's pretty helpful to see a little bit of visual stuff. So these uh, this first resource is a an illustrated guide to OAuth and OpenID Connect by the folks at Okta, and it's uh, it's pretty good. It's not that difficult to read, and it should hopefully sound pretty similar to what what I tried to describe last time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they really do sort of nail the fact that uh, OAuth is about authorization information, kind of like the name makes it sound like, which is about the sorts of things that your app is able to do mm-hmm. on the user's behalf. And then OpenID Connect is about identifying that user to the application. So, so in the case are, of signing with Apple, which is what we were talking about last week, um, the Apple would create the authentication token and say, yes, this is really Jaime Lopez Jr. trying to log into the service. And that kind of in a nutshell what we're talking about? Yeah, so it would give, you know, this is Jaime Lopez or, you know, uh, whatever it is. As we described before, you know, Apple is doing a lot more support for OpenID Connect. So that's identifying who is this person. Uh, granted, in Apple's case, in a very privacy-centric way. So they've, you know, done things like obfuscating the uh, the emails and stuff if somebody chooses and doing other things. But in general, giving you some way to identify who that user is. And then also dealing with the authorization side of like, what is this app authorized to do with this user's data? Right, right. Uh, and in, in informed, at, or at least um, stated consent is the the real key thing for um, sort of the full up uh, OpenID Connect flow. Uh, and, and speaking of which, so there are many different kinds of flows that happen with OAuth and OpenID Connect. And so the next item that's related is about, a, what is it, about an hour long video from a developer advocate, uh, Nate Bartini, Bartini, Bartini at, uh, at Okta. And he gave this, uh, looks like last year, and it's called uh, OAuth 2 and OpenID Connect in plain English. So it goes a little bit more in depth than the illustrated guide. And if you wanted to know more about it, I'd say go watch that video. I certainly did. It really helped explain what is happening where. And he sort of just goes through all of the, the different permutations there and explains 
explains in very plain person sort of terms instead of the really weird, uh, somewhat confusing and very dry terms that you'll see in the actual standards. You'd be like, what is an identity provider? What is a relying party? Who is a client in this case? Those are all very terribly complicated and overloaded terms. This does a really good job of explaining all those. Yeah, I did watch I did watch a bit of the video, but I only made it about maybe 50 minutes in before we ran out of time before the show here today. Interesting stuff. Kind of makes you want, like, you know, like, obviously I've written some code over the years and like the example he gives at the beginning of his talk about, you know, just simple, you know, user username and password kind of login and some hashing and that kind of stuff. And it's not really super secure. Whereas, you know, if you're relying on a big, a big provider, a Google or an Apple to, to do the heavy lifting on the, on the authentication, right. Um, then, then you can pass that over. They can pass back a token that authorizes the user to access your services, right? Yeah, it's definitely super helpful. And I think that's a big reason why Facebook login and Google login have been so popular, um, yeah. you know, in the, in the years that have gone by and why, in my opinion, why Apple with uh, signing with Apple decided to make it mandatory if you offered one of those, because it's, uh, it's just so powerful that having some sort of, you know, wedge here that they have their, their, their power with control over what goes into the app store, using that to sort of uh, rebalance things, right? Like, you know, why would somebody offer this? Like, well, you know, it's good for users, but if that's not enough to get developers to support it, guess what? We're requiring it, which I know has caused a lot of hand-wringing in the community, but it yeah. it seems like it helps swing the pendulum the other way towards uh, user privacy in addition to the, the security yeah, of I mean, the system Yeah, I mean, from the altruistic point of view, it looks like Apple, Apple's, I don't think Apple's doing it personally. I don't think they're doing it to force, you know, other companies to comply as much as they're protecting the users of their devices, right? By, you know, by enforcing this, right? That's how I see it. I mean, you know, yeah, they're being a bit heavy-handed in some senses, but at the end of the day, you know, they're, you're you're using the iPhone and you want to know that, that somebody's got your back, right? Yeah, I think it's like an ultimate inkblot test. It's a Rorschach test of you could very easily argue that this is an example of mm-hmm. Apple abusing its monopoly power over the App Store and saying, guess what? Right. All developers who, you know, have third-party logins must support this new thing that we are providing. Or you could also argue quite well that it is an example of Apple using its ability to champion security and privacy for the users. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I kind of lean towards the, this is in the best interests of, of users. And, and users still have a choice, right? It's not like they did away with all of the other third-party logins. They're just saying, if you offer any of them, you've got to offer ours too. I, I picture it as a uh... Tim Cook with a devil on one shoulder and an angel on one soldier shoulder and their their marketing directors whispering in his ears about those two things, those two opposing sides of this story that you just mentioned. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> yeah, the, gold, the golden handcuff being one of them. Um, sure. So, okay, what, what's next you for Simon? Yeah, this is a blog post uh, that is follow-up to episode 270, Who Moved My Dang Cheese? Where we were talking about some of the changes that had happened with the, I think it was the sharing mechanism on, on iOS, the sharing sheets and stuff. And sort of my, my gut reaction was who moved my stupid cheese? Like it was perfect yeah. the way it was. And yeah. after a little bit, I was like, no, actually it kind of makes sense. I actually kind of like the new design, but there are, um, other circumstances, right? So I happen to use an iPhone 10 and in my case, everything looks great and it all makes sense. Um, in this blog post, this person is talking about uh, this interaction they had with their spouse and th- their spouse was like, Hey, the new iPhone update doesn't let me save 
uh, what is it, save images to her phone. It's like, what are you talking about? Of course it does. And they thought it was some completely unrelated issue to iCloud. And then he got a chance to look at the screenshot and he realized, oh no, because of the way that this sharing sheet is designed on an iPhone, what does she have? Like an iPhone 8 or something? Mm -hmm. It perfectly crops so that you can't see that there is additional content below the fold. So like the very, very bottom thing that she sees in her mind is the copy element because it looks nice. It's a big, you know, rounded rectangle and it's got a little bit of a nice little border. They're like, yeah, a designer probably would choose the 10 to 16 pixels away. What she doesn't know is that you can scroll down further than that and see more of the options. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, that's a key thing to worry about. Like I've, I've definitely encountered designs that work really good on larger devices. And then you see them on smaller devices. Oh, uh, this isn't going to (laughs) work. Like this thing is going to have to scroll and we have to make sure that there is some affordance that somebody can see that there even is content there. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. This is, this is precisely the kind of thing that never used to happen with Apple. Right. And, and now seems to happen a lot. And, and it sort of makes you wonder, is it, is it just inevitable, inevitable because there's so many types of devices now and things have changed or is it inevitable because people just, people at Apple just, you know, stopped caring so much about that kind of stuff and, you know, the business has changed or is it the lack of Johnny Ive or is it the lack of Steve (laughs) Jobs or I wonder. Yeah, I think, I wonder. I definitely think it's the lack of Steve Jobs for sure, but, but it's weird because like I do, I do regularly get the who, who move who move a dang cheese uh, moments all the time whenever I'm trying, because every app is different in terms of how the share sheet interacts. But I think part of the problem is, or part of the, the contributing factor is that now more and more applications are, are creating these hooks, you know, to into the apps. Like like if you look at the, the screenshot, there is one where it goes on for days in terms of what apps you could put things into. And like, I'm never going to put things into half of those apps, right? So they shouldn't even be there, you know? If it was configurable, maybe it w- might be better. I, I know you can configure which ones come up as uh, in, in order, because like the Today extensions, you can change the order that they come, they appear, but who has time to do that for every single app that has a, ha- a share sheet, really? You know? It's it's just, it's ludicrous, though. There is a, there's still a who move my day and cheese uh, moment when I'm using those things. All right. Um, Jaime, we did the website one while you were away, so you can skip to the de- iOS Dev UK one. Yeah, so this is a tweet by the uh, the fine folks at the iOS Dev UK conference. They have the conference photo for this year's mm-hmm. conference, and a whole bunch of us all right. there smiling. Um, also, you know, it, there was a little bit of a, a thread here uh, pointing out that uh, Nigel Hamilton is representing the, uh, yeah. uh, you you pointed out, Tim, that uh, there was a nice t-shirt there, our well, MDJC. Well, Marin sent this over to me, you know, he mentioned me on the Twitter, on the tweet. And uh, so I went in and Photoshopped in a, uh, or with, with my phone, I Photoshopped in, or I, I think I did it in photo, the photo app. I put a nice little, drew a nice little arrow there with the ruler because you now, you now we have the ruler you can use to keep straight, make straight lines and stuff. Um, but I didn't notice that you know two three four people over to his right is a, f- a really interesting really well photoshopped Jaime Lopez you know dev with the hair uh, guy there doesn't it look photoshopped to you Mark uh, <laughs> like I'm yeah, not actually, actually there it actually does look photoshopped yeah you're right I didn't notice that before but now that you mention it yeah yeah I think I can, probably, I can probably work a f- uh, Starbucks cup into the shot too <laughs> yeah I was a little surprised Tim that you that you hadn't noticed me and I said that I, I blend in like a ninja as I as I always yeah, do yeah yeah um, yeah you love but, the MTJC you know, T-shirt in the front row there. Well, yeah, so that's our who's representing us, right? Yep. It's nice, nice. If you go, if you scroll down, Mark, you can see the the, the addition I made where I said nice shirt. I, I photoshopped, I cropped and photoshopped the image. Ah. Yes, I think I mean you posted a uh, image to our our Facebook um, of this uh, fine gentleman with his lovely attire, didn't you? You sent me a picture. 
picture, I think, right? Uh, so, Tim, Mayor? in in your tweet where it says nice T-shirt, all I see are yeah. a bunch of people's le- uh, legs and feet. Yeah, click on the image, Mark. I know. Oh. I know. I, I know I could click in, but it, but it looks kind of silly. I don't, I don't control the interface at Twitter. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about. Twitter probably did something awful there. Um, it just shows the bottom of the image. I can, but, yeah, you know, I, can, I can take a screenshot of what I see, which is Well, I'm looking, at, I'm looking at it in Safari. Let me look at it in, in, in TweetDeck, see if it looks any different. Regarding the Photoshop thing, so for one, I actually was there. I, I spoke at the conference. I'm reasonably certain I was probably standing in that spot, but I'm not actually sure because <laughs> I, I I did Photoshop. I did I did um, you know troll a little bit while the photographer is setting things up. You know, because given that this is in Europe, I'm like, hey, you know, where, where's the GDPR consent, and can I have my data deleted if I want to from this photo and. Uh, it kind of makes me think, like, huh, maybe somebody did remove their consent after that. Maybe I just got photoshopped, moved from one position to another to cover up somebody's face. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an option in this case, right? If you want to yeah. not just have this weird open spot. That is that is a really weird cropping that, yeah. that Twitter is doing. That's an unreasonable crop. If you're going to not do smart cropping, like find faces or find like the biggest thing in frame, you would do, you know, like center cropping or, yeah. you know, aspect fill. This looked like it just took like the very center and then cropped like a little punch out at the bottom. Well, I, I see what you see on, on, on the web on Safari, oh, too. okay. Yeah, that's why I said you had to click on it. All right, anyway, moving on. Um, what's next? Mark, you're up with the earnings. It's earnings week. It's earnings season again. Yeah, it's iPhone season. Hooray. Um, yeah, so Apple announced their earnings today, and uh, overall it was good. So they they announced a uh, $64 billion revenue, uh, which is up from uh, $62.9 billion in the same quarter, Q4 of last year. Uh, Q4 is is not the highest quarter. Q1 is the highest quarter due to the seasonality. Uh, so, uh, but you know, it's it's uh, it's actually the according to Tim Cook, this is the highest Q4 revenue ever for Apple, wow. which is pretty impressive. Uh-huh. Uh, he says it's fueled by accelerating accelerating growth from services, wearables, and iPad. Really? Yeah. So breaking it down by product, the iPhone was thirty three point three six billion. Services was twelve and a half billion. Mac was six point nine nine billion. Wearables, home and accessories was 6.52 billion, and iPad was 4.66 billion. So, still heavily dominated by the iPhone at 33.36. That's about triple, almost almost triple uh, services at 12.5 billion. But if you think about it, uh, 12.5 billion per quarter for services that's that's 50 billion dollars per year for services. And and just to put that in perspective, what do you think the total revenue of without looking it up of Starbucks is per year? Just Let's take a while. So, so in billions or millions. Um, Billions. 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 Like so, so so yearly revenue. So let's see if I can judge. So Boeing some years ago when I was there, like about 10 years ago, was like a 40-ish billion dollar company um, selling large commercial aircraft. They, they, they would single-handedly move the, the uh, trade deficit with basically any country. Um, Starbucks is... Pr- Probably like twenty, fifteen to twenty-ish billion, I would guess, without looking it up. Really close, but a little bit low. Because it's global, right? Yeah, a little bit low. Twenty-five billion for Starbucks okay. really? for two thousand eighteen. Yeah. But think about that: Starbucks on every single street corner in the world <laughs> is half the revenue as Apple's services. The people that the services that people have been poo-pooing is not not enough to to make up for the for the uh, the shrinking iPhone. I think that puts it in perspective, don't you? I mean, services is doing pretty well. 
Mm-hmm. That's a really good way of looking at it because I think I've seen other takes of like, hey, you know, iPhone is a bit down uh, quarter over quarter. Yeah. Uh, sorry, year year over year quarter. Um, but services is up just so much yeah. and just keeps growing, growing, growing. And, yeah. you know, Apple TV Plus hasn't even come out yet. You know, there's other stuff like it's like, yeah, we've, we've been talking about this for a while. But I think uh, jumping on the, you know, services money train uh, that Apple is is running here is probably a good idea for developers. Yeah. You know, keep doing everything to make that more uh, more valuable. Mm-hmm. Now, the important number for Wall Street is the forecast for the next quarter, uh, which is the big one, the holiday quarter. They're forecasting a revenue between $85.5 billion and $89.5 billion, which seems pretty good to me. Uh, and actually, Wall Street seems to agree because the stock is up a couple percent in after hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, overall, I would say it's a pretty good quarter. Apple's back. back. Well, they always were. I know. Oh, yeah. They never went anywhere. <laughs> from the slump. From I the know. Slump, yeah. I know. Uh, and, and I think wearables, too. I mean, we mentioned, uh, you know, the AirPods and AirPods Pro coming out. Um, Apple Watch and stuff like this is stuff that was like, like to use your term, there was poo-pooed. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is failing. I'm like, mm, I don't know. It's all growing. It's going up and to the right. It's looking pretty pretty good. It seems like they're selling a whole lot of them. Not not like hotcakes, like the way the iPhones or even the iPad were in their heyday, but uh, still at a pretty good pace. Mm-hmm. Good to see. Interesting. We were talking, I don't know if I'm, you saw on Twitter today, I, I uh, had a chance to actually, it was at a, an event at the bank where we're um, sponsoring a, like a, a hackathon competition for the next four weeks uh, for the thing for homeless people. Um, and believe it or not, it's an app for homeless people. Um, but uh, I ran into... Not a hackathon uh, for homeless people where they're doing the hacking? No, we're, uh, we're doing the hack. It's for their benefit that we're doing gotcha. it. But anyway, the, the, um, uh, I, met, I ran into Milos uh, Denyak. I've talked to him about him a couple of times. Uh, he's one of our payments people and uh, he's uh, written a he's the one that wrote the, the article about the, the cards that I was talking about last week. But he, he mentioned something interesting. We were talking about Apple Pay today and um, he said that, you know, it's interesting when you look at the statistics because they say that, you know, it's like, oh, it's like, you know, I don't know, let's argue for argument's sake, say 400 people are using Apple Pay uh, in a period, but it's 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 a much smaller percentage of people who are doing it every single day, right? Like it's like 10% of people are using it every single day, whereas like as opposed to the big number that they throw out, because um, it's, it's if you look at who uses it occasionally, it's a big number. But if you look at who uses it every single day, it's still very, very low. At least that's in Canada anyway, but uh, which I was surprised by because as I mentioned before, we have we have the tap to pay technology here, which Apple Pay works on top of, right? Um, so it's it's relative, like pe- like the vendors don't need to do anything specific to accept Apple Pay, right? Because the tap to pay mechanism is, is already NFC, right? But uh, and I don't know what, what how it works and how that translates in the US. But interesting to, to sort of see, and you're always seeing this, Mark. You got to look at how the what the numbers are really based on, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes the numbers sound really good, but just a bit of follow up on uh, on that there stuff. So there's uh, there's one link here that I don't know if you put this in here on purpose, but I guess you're talking. I saw this tweet earlier saying that Tim Cook will be rem- or Apple will be remembered for health. It's in the headline you just posted. Yeah, uh, that was one of the uh, things that he said uh, in the in the conference call. Uh, let me find the exact quote here. Hold on. Yeah, the the quote is this is Tim Cook. There will be a day in the future that we look back and Apple's greatest contribution will be to people's health. So he sees wearables like the watch and associated health functionality as the future of company. So I think it's interesting that he would do the health angle because it seems like there's um, other folks moving in the same direction. So the rumor on the street is that Google or Alphabet, I suppose, will uh, be acquiring Fitbit. Um, as of this recording, it has not happened yet, um, but that might be a way that they can you know, add that to their repertoire. Now, granted, they do have Wear OS. It's really 
really not going anywhere. So I don't know if Fitbit is to acquire the the user base, if it's to acquire people, technology. Yeah, Android wearables sort of have have not been a uh, rising success. Let's say right, right. But you can you can see that if like if Apple was thinking, hey, this is a direction they really want to push. Right. If Google was like, hey, what can we do to sort of you know get ahead further than we are now? Acquiring Fitbit might be a reasonable way to go. Yeah, I, I actually wonder how much longer Fitbit could survive as a standalone company. I don't know much about their business, but it doesn't seem like you, you don't hear too much about them, at least these days. Right, right. And I, I'm pretty sure they acquired Pebble some years ago. Yeah, that's right. They did. Yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I'm looking up uh, Fitbit revenue. Well, okay. 2018, they had a revenue of $1.5 billion, which is actually higher than I expected for Fitbit. Of course, they had a net loss per share of $0.76. Cents. So they're, they're, they're wrapping almost a whole, well, three quarters around every every uh every Fitbit device that they that they ship. Not not really because it's per share, but you know, but they're they're wrapping dollar bills around everything that they ship is the old you know, the <laughs> right. way of putting it. Um because they're losing money basically on, on it on everything. Hmm. All right. Move on to the next item there, Jaime. Yeah, this is um, something new out there that I must admit I have not tried, but it's got some interesting pedigree. It's uh Game Club, which is a subscription based gaming service that will run on, on iPhones and stuff. It's being done by uh, the former Touch Arcade editor-in-chief, Eli Hoda. And the idea, as I understand it, is that you can pay this $4.99 per month for the service with a 30-day free trial. And they are giving you unlimited access to games that sort of just withered and died away and never got updated for the latest and greatest iPhones that you might be missing. And so that's kind of an interesting take that they're, I'm assuming they're going out there and, and acquiring this IP or making contracts like, hey, you know, what if we pay to, to get this upgraded so it runs on, you know, an iPad Pro or an iPhone 11 Pro or something and people can, can use those games. So it's it's kind of an interesting competitor to Apple Arcade. And there are some games that, that didn't make the, the 32-bit chasm yeah. or didn't right, make right. some of the other transitions. It's kind of an interesting business model. You know, you, you buy up these apps that are, there, there's thousands and thousands of apps out there that are no longer on the store. And, you know, you buy them up cheap because the developer has no interest in maintaining them. And, you know, you just have someone do the minimum amount to keep them alive and put them out there. That's kind of an interesting idea. I wonder how it'll mm-hmm. work. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm also kind of curious how this mechanically works because I thought, oh, okay, oh boy, this is going to be one of those things that Apple's going to shut down because it's like a store within a store kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but in this case, it seems like you're actually downloading the apps from the app store itself. Um, and so I'm guessing that they must use like uh, like an in-app purchase type model where the game checks, hey, does this user have that subscription? Cool. I'm going to unlock myself then. Like I haven't actually tried this out to see yeah. how in the world this works. Well, it's probably similar to that setup app that I've been running for a couple of years now where you have a whole bunch of apps that are sort of curated and put into this environment and they all, the licensing is all handled by the setup folks. And and I think back in the day, um, Electronic Arts had uh, published all their older games. They'd, they'd made them all work on the on the iPhones and stuff like that. And so you paid one price for Electronic Arts and you got access to the old, you know, Galaga and all that kind of stuff that they would have had the had the property for, right? But yeah, it's interesting to see what would happen if, if people would uh, pick up the old apps. Because I'm sure the only thing about it is, is like, you know, if people had data or whatever, it's going to, you have to use a new bundle ID so they wouldn't be able to keep their uh, their property, right? Or their data. 
Yeah, I don't think this would be a way to like, oh yeah, it's, uh, you know, Mage Gauntlet. I used to play that. Let's see if my save still works. It, it probably won't, just given what you described there. Unless you can buy the company that had, that had the title, right? Yeah. Uh, so I am real-time follow-up here. So I looked up Mage Gauntlet, which is one of the ones that's shown here in this Ars Technica article. And it is free, so I can just get it, but it has in-app purchases. And the one in-app purchase is the Game Club monthly subscription. So it does work the way I thought it might, that you sort of get the game. So I'm assuming they're using the, uh, was it server-side receipts checking, I think, for in-app purchases. So rather than asking, I think, the App Store itself to verify, the App Store is asking you, your server, like, hey, does Bob here or Sally here, do they have access to this? And you can say, yes, they do. And I think mm-hmm. that's how this is working here. So this would work for games that were kind of freemium model, right? Where where you download it for free and, and they, they make their money off of in-app purchase. But I don't know how it would work for, and maybe it, maybe it is only for that kind of game. I don't know how it would work for uh, games that were, you know, just buy it once and download it and, and, and use it, you know, forever. Um, I mean, the article here is claiming that that these don't contain ads or in-app purchases, so they, they act more like the Apple Arcade yeah, ones. Interesting. And they're, they're early premium hits. So I wonder if, uh, if the model here is that they acquired the IP and then, you know, paid some developers to, you know, get these ready to go, or if they contracted out to developers, hey, we should, you know, we'll give you a cut of the money if you update does, your, your app for this. Allow them to do that is is what I wonder, right? Because because if it's if it's available for download on the App Store, then how do they get away with the pay once and get them get access to all of them? If they're using like the kind of thing that you were talking about, where it's some receipt kind of thing, then you download the thing, and then if you haven't paid for it, you have a useless thing that you downloaded. And for some of these games, presumably they weren't built to allow you know to have just like one level free, and then the rest is unlocked. Yeah, but they must like but you like you said though, Mark, if you buy the code, then you basically get added in whatever in that feature would, would be needed to make that run, make that mechanism run, right? Yeah, but uh, yes, but in practice, I wonder how that works because again, it's, it's Apple still has to allow you to have something on the store that people can download that is essentially useless unless they pay you oh, externally, right? Yeah. Right. right yeah, this is, yeah. this is yeah. exactly the Spotify problem or not exactly the Spotify problem. Well, it's arcade, arcade is the same way too. Like I downloaded three or four games through Arcade, but I've, I've have since canceled my subscription. I haven't tried to run those games since I since I quit. But yeah, you know, you're not using Arcadia, are you, Jaime? I'm not. I'm still waiting for like, oh, this is the one hot game that like absolutely have to play, and then yeah. align that with when do I have some free time? You know, some downtime where I can make use. But here, I, I've got a game right now that on my phone that I, it was on Arcade, and, I, and if I click on it, it says, yeah, it just brings up an ad for Arcade. So they must have a mechanism in their, in their mark to um, to have like a gatekeeper kind of feature, right? Yeah, sort of say, you know, but I think. To, to Mark's point, that, that's fine and all for Apple Arcade because it's just sort of a all or nothing, right? It's like this well, game is specific right? to Arcade, yeah. so you don't even get to play any of it. Like We're not even going to show you the screen. It's just going to crash and say, yo, pay up the IAP. Um, whereas these games, you know, d- d- Apple has been like really strict about like you can't have something that's completely useless without right. um, paying for it. So there, there must be something there of like play the first level or you know yeah. get 10 victories or something and then you can't play anymore unless you subscribe to the service. Yeah, it explicitly says, the service offers a downloadable app for managing the games, but games are downloaded separately from the App Store. The Game Club hmm, app can link out to those App Store entries as you browse. However, you can subscribe
subscribe directly on the device, meaning Apple will get a cut of the subscription as it does for other app subscriptions in App Store. That still doesn't explain how it works if you happen to download one of the apps and don't have a subscription. Mm-hmm. doesn't mm-hmm. explain how that works. Yeah. Maybe after the show and, and for next week, I can download this Mage Gauntlet okay. uh, without happens. paying for the internet purchase, then yeah. see what happens. See what happens. Where, well, your phone says, where's my money, fool? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or will, or will Tim Cook show up at your door asking for a payment? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe they're using, like, you know, what's that app group mechanism, right, that they added a few years ago? Where you like an MDM kind of, sl- kind of thing? Well, there's a, maybe there's, a bundle, there's a bundle thing where you can bundle multiple, of your, multiple apps together. Like, you could take all of your Smapsoft apps and have them all bundled into one purchase price, right? You could yeah. take it three, like two for one or three for one. Or yeah. Whatever. Logo. I don't know. All right, let's move on. So I posted something here that uh, came out, and I, I think by the time the show hits the streets, it might be a little too late for folks, but Apple has sent out a warning to users of the iPhone 5 that they may, may need to update uh, to uh, 10.3.4, iOS 10.3.4, before 12 a.m. UTC on November 3rd, which is... Sunday, um, yeah, or they they're, they won't be able to go online. There is a, there, it's not they're not dead in the water though. There is a way to go and and uh, upgrade them uh, offline. But uh, yeah, this is something to do with an upgrading the GPS technology. I think um, well, that's right. There's a rollover uh, time rollover issue with GPS. Right. And apparently, there's a. I think we'd mentioned some weeks ago that there was a patch that was going to come out for older phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, iOS ten dot three dot four. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you you're right. If you if you if you haven't updated already. Uh, and you're listening to the show. Uh, you really, you really should, probably should go update before you. Oh, so this is follow up to what we were saying before. We we mentioned it at some point. I do remember oh, okay. talking about this that I it was going to happen, and apparently it is happening. Cool. All right. Yeah, yeah you don't want to end up like uh, like Dwight and Michael Scott taking a, a right hand turn into the lake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I heard something about the pronunciation. Is it is it is Apple saying Air Pod Airs Pod, Pod AirPods Pro? Or I heard there was some weird thing about the way they're pronouncing the product name pluralized. Has there been official word from Apple? Like I know the uh, the John Gruber's of the world and the Jason Snell's like the you know iPhones Pro, yeah. iPads Pro, and therefore really? AirPods Pro style. I, I'm assuming right. it comes from you know uh, like the official you know this is how you write journalistic well, is, stuff yeah that's odd because we say macbook pros we don't say macbooks pro well right? so you and i would say that because it just sort of seems like take the thing oh, the, and, you say, you're saying the, but the, i think they the would Google say macbooks pro really but i'd, I'd have to check to see if there's wow. actually a case where they do that huh. i don't know i assume it comes from like you know uh what i can't remember what you know it's like those things you learn in like high school maybe college of like oh use um ama or chicago style or whatever it's called i'm thinking of all of these different acronyms like <laughs> fml because <laughs> that's how i feel right now when i can't think of what the stupid acronym is acronyms for. for what you know those acronyms for the citation styles oh there's actually ways to remember that stuff there's like two different ways that you cite things and i i think these guides go beyond just citation i think they go into um this is how the new york times or the washington post or the chicago sun times this is how we oh, write it. You know, it's those sort of like yeah, official 
semi I'm sure Jonathan would know that, but he's not on this show. He's on Spotcast. Totally so. different show. Right, right, right. Yeah, we just wouldn't know because he did that whole journalism thing, right? So, And actually, if, if you think about it, MacBook Pros, although it may sound right, it, it logically it actually makes sense for it to be MacBooks Pro because because the thing is a MacBook and right. Pro is a modifier or a, right. of the MacBook. And it's not like there's a single MacBook or multiple Pros, right? That would be a MacBook Pros, multiple yeah. Pros associated with a single MacBook. Right. It's it's MacBooks, plural. There's more than one MacBook. Hmm. And they're all pro. Hmm. That's actually a really good way of looking at that, of breaking it down etymologically. Yeah. I don't know. Etymology. I would always say, like, if it was Macintosh 2CI, I would say Macintosh 2CIs. Well, of course. That's what everyone says. Yeah. And it sounds yeah. better when you say it. But but if you break it down, you know, grammatically, logically, and, and write it down, it sort of makes sense the other way. So if we had two, if we had two guests, two hosts named Mark on the show, right? We had right. Mark Rubin and Mark something else, right? Or right. we had two Mark Rubens on the show. Yeah, we wouldn't say two marks. Ruben, we would no, say two marks. No, no, Rubens. no, because Ruben doesn't modify Mark. Ruben is still a proper noun. Mark I know, Ruben but there's more than one Ruben. Noun. Is what I'm saying. There's Rubens, right? Yeah, yeah, but but the difference is that Ruben is not a modifier of Mark. It's part right. of the name. Right. Yeah, it's a whole thing. But to me, the whole name is MacBook Pro. Like the whole thing. It's like it's a MacBook. In which case, it's twelve. It's like eleven or twelve inches, and it's little. Right. Or it's a MacBook Pro. In which case, it has you know Pro features. So I. I get that it's it's the the brand is MacBook. Yeah. And the the models are different because you've got like you've got your your Honda Civic LX and your Honda Civic DX and the DX and the LX are modifiers, right? Well, not but, necessarily in that case. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I see what you're saying, Mark. It definitely makes sense. That's probably why it's done that way. Yeah. I think what what Tim and I are running across is the innate need to treat it as like an opaque string. Sure. Like, take this mm-hmm. opaque string, throw an S at the end, pluralize it, and, right. and obviously possibly. that's not. Yeah. Correct in this yeah, case. No, I'm not arguing with you about how everyone, including myself, says it because so I wait. say it that way too. Of course. So wait. Course, so the big but, question is: Do you do apostrophe s or do you just do s? Is it well? Name? See, like, that's pros. the whole problem there because because I know, it's I know the apostrophe s technically makes it makes it makes it possessive, but still. Well, so apostrophe s is just flat out wrong, yeah. and and the reason you have to resort to something like an apostrophe s colloquially is because officially it's it's wrong. Grammatically, mm-hmm. yeah. If you did MacBooks Pro, you wouldn't need to have that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I use it's funny. I do use apostrophe s when I'm pluralizing things that where it doesn't make sense. It's almost like I want to put quotations around it, right? Right, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because I think I think yeah. Why would I do that? I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but I do know I, I have consciously put the apostrophe s. So I just didn't mean to throw the wrench into the conversation, but there yeah. we go. Anywho, well, English is just a kind of a messed up language in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, it's. it's it's a it's a hybrid, right? It is, yeah. It's a hydra and a hybrid all at once. Um, all right. AirPods Pro. You know, it's actually, uh, I've been thinking about that more. With with AirPods, it sort of makes even more sense because you have two AirPods. True. Right. Oh, okay. You would no, never right. say AirPod Pro. So AirPod Pros would make completely no sense, right? So is it AirPods Pros? How do well, we, we can have second. like more of them? Yeah, but what, okay, let's, let's, let's use the word shoes as an example here, right? Because you have a pair of shoes right. and you have a shoe, but you normally have shoes. You follow me? So like AirPod, right. AirPods. Yeah, but nothing modifies shoes. 
so it doesn't. That's true. That's because it's one of those goofy. Because you words, can say right? an AirPod. You can say that an AirPod Pro. You can say that too, mm-hmm. or you can say AirPods Pro. But you wouldn't. You wouldn't say AirPod Pros. My, yeah, I, I think you? you might. I don't know. You might AirPod Pros. I would. I wouldn't say that. AirPods Pros. I don't know. AirPod Pro. <laughs> anyway, Jaime, hit us. Lead us off on this because there's, there's there's three articles. It's an up and a down. It's a roller coaster ride on the AirPods themselves. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting because it was like a like a sneak attack that Apple did on the whole you know ecosystem here to say, hey, oh, by the way, AirPods Pro available October 30th, which means if you are listening to this very show now, it is already available, presumably. I didn't check country availability. I assume they're available just about everywhere. Um, yeah, it uh, does a couple of nice things. One, it has uh, noise, cancel- active noise cancellation, which is nice. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It has a secondary mode that's called, uh, was it transparency? I think they call it. Yes. Transparency where you can listen to music and still hear the environment around you. So you're not completely drowning out the, uh, the noise. So if you're like, you know, going for a run or, you know, you're in the, the city and you want to make sure you don't get hit by traffic, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and they also have, um, these varying, uh, tips, uh, and even a sizing mechanism where the device can help you figure out, like, are you using the right size of, of tip that goes into the inner ear part, which is, is interesting to me because I think people who've listened to me on the show have said like, hey, I don't know about these AirPods because the normal ear pods really hurt my ears after a while and it just doesn't fit my particular ears that well. Hmm. So I've, I've not been able to enjoy the uh, the AirPods era. Uh, but if there's, you know, smaller options for the, the tip part, that might be pretty good for me. I don't know. I'll have to uh, to see about trying it out. Um, they also have, uh, what do they call the little like touch thing? Thing. It's like a like a mouse clicker sort of thing. It doesn't actually click, but it gives you like a haptic feedback. I mentioned here. Either way, you, you have you know touch controls. Uh, and my understanding is independent touch controls, where you could have one like the left ear could be activate Siri, and the other one could be uh, play, pause, skip forward, skip back. You know that sort of control. Uh, it is worth mentioning that they do have a little bit of a, a premium, uh, as the pro name might describe there. So rather than was it like one fifty, one sixty, probably for AirPods, these are uh, what is it two forty. All right. So the official name, by the way, is AirPods Pro with an S after the pod. AirPods Pro. Yep. Yep. AirPods Pro will be available for $249 US. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does have, of course, the um, sound sharing thing where you can, or audio sharing. So if you have somebody else, presumably who has AirPods or AirPods Pro, and you wanted to share the, hey, let's listen to the same music at the same time, you can do that. Also, that interesting the, to uh, see what you guys think about these things. So I've never really been a huge fan of these, the, the silicon tips that fit in your ear. Like that, that sort of close in, you know, I guess that creates the noise canceling effect or whatever. But uh, yeah, because you, you both complain that you can't get, these won't stay in your ear, right? Or regular iPods won't yeah. stay in your ear, right? Yeah, so I don't even try. Well, so, so so Mark has the problem that they won't stay. Mine is the problem is that my ear canal grips too hard and it cramps. Oh, okay. So it, it's a little different, but I also do know that this has like a venting mechanism. So you don't get the weird pressure buildup that people normally complain about when it comes to that silicone tip that creates the seal for the right, right. noise cancellation. So it, it's an interesting device. Like it is definitely premium over the normal AirPods. Um, is it, you know, 249 versus 159? I don't know. I mean, if, if these were 159, I think I'd already have them in my hands. Yeah. Since it's 249, I'm like, mm, I don't know. I'm going to wait. <laughs> Maybe they'll yeah, go on it's, sale. It's like $330 in Canadian dollars or whatever, right? You have to add the $50 bub. I don't know if you guys have scrolled through the site uh, to see, but they've got quite a, you know, they're using this sort of scroll all in one um, style uh, web page where but as you scroll through it kind of breaks them down you know superior air quality uh, superior sound quality with a 
deductive EQ. And as you scroll, it shows, it shows them blown out. And there's a amplifier built in, super high efficient dynamic range amplifier. Um, and then it's got and then it's got a uh, Apple designed H1 chip that employs 10 audio cores, creating incredibly low audio processing latency. And then what else have they got here? The force sensor allows you to control music and calls and switch between active noise cancellation and transparency mode. Yeah. And they're also waterproof. Did you mention they were water resistant, Tommy? Oh, that's right. Water resistant, not waterproof. So I think it's meant to be, you know, if you're in a pretty reasonable rainy mm-hmm. environment and, you know, reasonable sweat mm-hmm. at the, uh, you know, at the gym or while you're running or something. Again, not if you are in like torrential rain, I assume, and not if you are extra sweaty. So they, call, they, they come with a wireless charging um, case as well? They do. And it's it's a little bit larger from my understanding from the from the original, just seeing them side by side. Yeah. And say they say 24 hours of listening time with multiple additional chargers in the case up to 4.5 hours listening time on one charge and uh one hour with a minimum of five minutes of charging which is not bad yeah i think these to my mind seem like because people usually get sort of bent out of shape about that i'm like look think about it so you start at like i don't know right before like right before work you're like your commute to work and you you start listening at 100 percent. my understanding is like right around lunchtime you would take these out yeah. put them in the, the charger to charge and then you should be mostly good until the end of the day after your lunch break. That yep. seems pretty decent. You know, pop them in the case if you're going to the toilet, you know, there or if you're going to get coffee. Like, <laughs> I feel like there are opportunities here to Do recharge. They time, right? Do they float? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Again, not water resistant. Water resistant, not waterproof. Don't put them right, in the toilet. Right. Yeah. Don't drop them in the toilet. Um, but uh, they, you can also share songs and podcasts because you can have two uh, sets of uh, AirPods, old style, new style, or, or whichever mix and match, um, hooked up to your phone, so you can share your audio with your with your partner if you will. Right. That's the the audio sharing thing, which which seems like it's pretty cool. Like you would just sort of hold the other device close to your phone, and it will magically detect like, hey, do you want to share with this one? Yeah. So that's pretty nice I like that i'd like to see yeah. that in person at some point yeah or looking on the american site 249 yeah 329 canadian then you had your taxes and so on and so on hmm. i'm glad i didn't waste the uh, money on those those obsolete wireless airpods that you guys bought in summer <laughs> not that you guys <laughs> better buy them <laughs> <laughs> i was talking to the listeners anyway yeah so uh interesting and of course with this came you know new agreements on the app store or if you if you hadn't gone over to the developer site you'll see that they're new agreements because anytime Apple has addressable hardware coming out. You have to uh, agree to new terms and conditions. But uh, this also came, I guess you can talk about this next uh, story, Jaime, the uh, iPad OS uh, or the new version 13.2 for iOS yeah. and iPadOS. A few things came out, uh, iOS 13.2, iPadOS 13.2. Uh, older devices got iOS 12.4.3, which is largely like some security updates, two-factor authentication updates. Uh, as we mentioned, for the iPhone 5, you have that uh, upgrade to iOS 10 for um GPS compatibility. Uh, also 13.2 for Apple TV and the HomePod, which I will note as of this recording, there the initial release of 13.2 um, had some issues for people with HomePods. Uh, I did not upgrade myself, uh, and I guess thankfully not because it seems like some people had issues with the update bricking their HomePod. It yeah. seems like the newer update, uh, and this is you know hot off the press here at the, as of this recording, seems like that seems to have resolved that issue. But I'm going to let things settle for a couple days before I update. 
create my own HomePod. Yeah, so between when this story broke and, and when I, I heard about I was looking at it earlier today, but then just before the show, like a half an hour before we started recording, uh, the news had come out that Apple has quickly put out 13.2.1 uh, for, uh, for the HomePod to, un- to solve the bricking problem that people were having. So they had, the, the story is that they had pulled 13.2 off the store, so you couldn't get it for a while. They probably used a staggered release, hopefully a phased release, I hope, right? Yeah. So, not going to go there? Okay. <laughs> you know, this is kind of like a big reason why I don't jump uh, on day one. Like, I know it is extraordinarily selfish because I kind of need other people to be the guinea pigs. But for me, myself, I'm like, yeah, I can wait like a couple days to maybe a week to see what happens. And I usually check the check the, the news online to see, you know, how is it working for people. So the post you have is everything you need to know about iOS and iPad OS 13.2. What's, what's, what's cool? What's happening? What's going on? Well, I think one thing is the support for the AirPods Pro uh, and the ability to uh, have Siri announcing messages in your in your AirPods. Uh, also, this includes the uh, privacy updates that have been talked about, about whether you're going to share Siri recordings with Apple. So that important oh, really? setting okay. is in there now. Uh, the Deep Fusion computational photography is there for the iPhone 11, uh, 11 Pro, and 11 Pro Max. Right. And I think the thing that uh, is probably the main reason people are going to update is the 59 new emoji. Definitely. That's why I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's what like I'm, that's what tells me oh this must be you know the security updates and all the other stuff that they really really want because they were they were probably smart enough to save that for the emoji release use that as the carrot to get people to upgrade yeah uh, so I don't get the let's see what do they got here that's new oh, these are I, I, in the shots are they showing the stuff that's new or I don't think this is the full difference I'd seen some resource on Twitter that claimed to be all the new ones have got a whole bunch of new animals uh, when it comes to people they have a lot more inclusive options particularly for people who uh, have disabilities of some sort mm-hmm. so more representation there I think they also tweaked some of the gender neutral um, people emoji to be more obviously neutral and not just dudes without beards so there's right. inclusivity there um, and I think there's a new waffle emoji oh is that right <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm always kind of curious to see what new emoji that people just start using repeatedly. Like, what what is the, the thing? Um, other things with uh, HomePods and stuff. So I know that um, I think the new HomePod stuff included the ability... Oh, there it is. I couldn't find it. So you can uh, add music to your HomeKit scenes. You can have the HomePod recognize different family members. So it'll right. give yep. contextual information. So that's pretty cool. That'll be a, a good upgrade. Uh, handing off music podcasts or phone calls by bringing your iPhone close to HomePod. That's definitely one I want to try out when I upgrade. See how that works. Yeah, that was announced at WWDC. We were waiting for that one. Yeah. Uh, and also they can play what they are calling relaxing high quality soundtracks with ambient sounds like the sounds of rain or a fireplace mm. or even just white noise. Nice. I might try that one out too. Cool. Yeah, pretty pretty good updates here. I don't I don't know that iPad OS had anything specific to it. That's what I was looking for. I didn't see anything. Um, but you know, it's good. It's good to see these fixes come out rather quick. Um, I think we've all sort of known and, and noticed, and certainly we've talked about in the show, some of the uh, struggles that have occurred with iOS 13, but I'm not going to complain about stuff coming out fast. And, you know, like ideally you would want it to have been, you know, darn near perfect on release and then they're just rapidly adding new features, but at least it seems like bug fixes are coming out fast. They're not just sort of sitting around here. So we'll, we'll see if they run out of point releases before next year, though. They're already at 13.2 and we're a little over a month into the release. 
Well, in the, in the little bit of a readme that he's got in the screenshot, his uh, iPad OS introduces the new emojis, announced messages for AirPods, and support for AirPods Pro, as you mentioned, HomeKit Secure Video, and HomeKit... Oh, I didn't see that one. I missed that one. That's one that's specific to iPad OS. IPad, yeah, and then HomeKit uh, enabled... I, I don't know if that's specific to um, iPad, but this is under the iPad OS readme. New Siri privacy settings, which you mentioned, and bug fixes and improvement. Oh, hello, Siri. Thanks, Siri. Oh, do I have to? Okay. You know what, Siri? Hey, Siri. Tell me a Canadian joke. I found this on the oh, Such joke. a loser. Check it out. <laughs> Alexa can tell me Canadian jokes. I guess Siri hasn't got there yet. All right. Is that there? a joke that's spelled J-O-U-K-E? <laughs> <laughs> There's a Canadian joke for you. <laughs> but <Ba-dum-bum. laughs> But Hey Siri, tell us a joke. I forgot how to throw a rag. Then it came back to me. Uh, yeah, so a friend of mine once told me a groan is the appropriate response to a pun. All right. Uh, I wonder how many jokes Siri knows. Hey Siri, tell me a joke. <laughs> What'd she say? Oh, you couldn't hear it? She no. said, I don't often tell dad jokes, but when I do, he usually laughs. Right, right. Hey Siri, how many jokes do you know? She's not sure she understands. Hey Siri, how far is the earth to the moon? Just a moment. Dis- uh-oh. Boss the connection. Let me try that again. <laughs> what? Wow. Moon, <laughs> I've never heard that before. Thursday, October 31st, 2019 is about 177,105 kilometers. Wow. Wait. You guys did, did it, in your head. Did it give a very, very precise answer? So I was like, very it's like, all right, all right. Given the time yeah. on this certain date, this is precisely how far. Do I need to know? I'm like, yeah. I'm not asking for astronomical units. I'm like, how many kilometers is it roughly? Hey, Siri approximately how many kilometers is it from the earth to the moon Okay, I found this on the web. Seriously. Approximately how much kilometers is it worth to check it out? Thanks, Siri. You're dismissed. All right. <laughs> Terminator Dark Fate starts this week, so. Yes, I got my tickets already going on Friday. <laughs> just on, on theme, you know. It's like, yeah, yeah. Just think about how much of a fantasy that is. There you go, Siri. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll be replaced by uh, Mackenzie King. Or no, Mackenzie Davis. Um, another Canadian. Uh, let's see. Oh, wait. This is the uh, iPod one. Are we done? Oh, so I have a question for you. So I, I we heard, we were talking in our, in our, um, forum the other day about copy left have you guys heard of copy left no yes copy there's copyright and there's copy left and copy left apparently has something to do with if you have open source software in a framework or whatever that you import yeah so this is generally so the the term copy left is sort of a it's a pun uh, right joke or snark a pun on copyrights right copyright generally restricting you to say like hey you you can or can't do certain things because i am the owner of this intellectual property copy left i've heard it mostly brought up in the sense of like the GNU public license, the GPL, as like, hey, here are these responsibilities you have um, if you use this particular uh, intellectual property. Does that make sense? Is that, is that yeah. explaining what's going on here? They're like, hey, did you modify this GPL code? Uh, and people, and you're distributing that um, that binary in some way to people, guess what? You also have the responsibility to provide them not only the original, well, I guess maybe not the original, I, I take that back, yeah, certainly these modified source code that you have, have done. And mm-hmm. it's it sort of pretty far-reaching, right? This is why uh, historically people have been very careful when adding GPL licensed code to their software because you right. don't want to accidentally make what you would hope would be proprietary software uh, public because of this. So people will be mm-hmm. very careful about, you know, are we distributing or not? 
So I think a pretty good example would be like, um, you know, if you're distributing this as part of like some you know device that you've modified, uh, mm. you're, you're going to have to provide that code. It gets a little tricky because people like, well, what about with like Amazon, Google and Microsoft are doing with their, um, their platforms, right? Like AWS, Azure, GCP. Good question. I'm not a lawyer. I kind of prefer the MIT licenses and the Apache license too, uh, for these reasons, because I'm, I'm not super uh, strong in, in championing um, the copy left sort of movement. It's sort of taking like, eh, if you want to use it and make a ton of money, cool, go for it. That's that's my take. Not to say that's the case for everybody. Certainly, I think the uh, GNU folks and I think the um, Free Software Foundation probably feel differently. Mm -hmm. I, I could see that point. So I guess we're at the picks part of our show. So Jaime, do you have a pick? I do. And it's kind of an unusual pick because I don't know that it's going to be directly helpful. Um, and I bring it up not to not to be negative, even though this particular article does take a very negative slant towards mm -hmm. Apple. It's called uh, Apple, your developer documentation is missing. Mm -hmm. uh, and it notes here that the original, and you can look at the URL slug, says Apple, your developer documentation is garbage. <laughs> so I'm not here to, to bash Apple over this stuff, right? Like I've right. certainly talked about this before. Um, it is a, a noticeable problem that a lot of stuff in their developer documentation is is lacking at times. It's very thin, yeah. Um, but I don't want to focus on that too much because that's, you know, I think we know that people, you know, have found ways to deal with this uh, back in the day when the XE test stuff came out. Uh, I was pretty much looking at Joe Mazzalotti's website and John Reed's website for like mm -hmm. what's the actual documentation here for people that are reverse engineering and experimenting with this stuff. Right. And I think what I want to bring this up for and why I made it my pick was I think this is an opportunity for us as a software development community to sit back and think, well, hold on, is my stuff documented appropriately? Um, and there's different levels of sort of responsibility, I think, here. Like, I think if you're providing software for other people to use, you know, outside third parties, such as Apple's doing here, I think you really should make sure you have pretty top-notch stuff, you know, as yeah. best you can. Uh, but I think even if it's internal only and, and really even if it's just for yourself, just thinking about like, well, will I actually understand what this is doing six months from now? Um, or if somebody else has to take over this code uh, or I'm working with somebody else, you know, will they be able to understand? So I want to turn the uh, turn the frown upside down and say, please, I implore people, you know, read this article. Think about how you've been impacted by these um, these holes in the documentation and then think about sort of paying it forward for like, are you yourself doing everything? Thing you can to right, have good right, quality yeah. documentation for your stuff. Yeah, and maybe you can do a talk or make a blog post to positively explain to people how to how to use the, the uh, frameworks out there once you, if you figure it out, right? You know, pay it forward, like you said. Or, I mean, if you get really motivated, maybe you could write up documentation for all of the stuff that Apple hasn't documented and give it to us. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be, it'd be kind of interesting if that was the case, because, like, you know, uh, certainly people can do this sort of thing with, like, Swift because it's open source. They can do it with uh, WebKit and that has been open source. Like, I don't know of a good way. Let's say somebody was really like, you know what? I'm just super interested in this one framework, super interested in how it, like core image filters work in all the things that they do. I don't know of a good way to, like, yes, you could make a website and hopefully it gets sort of popular enough that people start referencing your stuff when they're looking, but there's no real obvious way to push that information back upstream for Apple to be like, yeah, that's pretty good, Lopez. We're going to incorporate that into our, our documentation. Thank you for saving us the time. Right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I imagine, you know, it, it is sort of paying it forward for other developers. So it has value there. And I don't know this is true, but I would assume that if you, you know, were notable enough, Apple might be like, hey, maybe we should hire this person. Look how good of a job they're doing with this stuff. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, so I've got a couple of things. One of them actually circles back to what you were talking about at the top of the show, Jaime, with the OA 
Loss stuff, I believe. Um, I think. It's a framework called Gnostic, and I believe it's from Google APIs. Yes, it is. A friend, uh, My friend Eric from work uh, pointed it out to us. Um, it's a repository that lets you uh, work with um, Open API um, and Google stuff, right? Oh, okay. I see here. Yeah, I get it. So this says here, this repository contains a Go command line tool, which converts JSON and YAML Open API descriptions to and from equivalent protocol buffer representations. Yeah, the protobufs, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's it's basically just converting different formats. Protocol buffer is a is a JSON-like uh, format that was put out by Google that a lot of people use. Uh, I, I've used it pretty extensively, um, which is kind of, it's they're kind of interesting and useful for many reasons. One of which is, unlike JSON, which is just completely open-ended and you can, you can it's just basically a, a text format, essentially. That's, that's uh, you know, that's uh, serialized. Uh, but it's, you can, you can just, it's essentially a dictionary. You can add whatever you want and there's no format to it. And if you happen to change, if your server changes, you don't know, right? You just have, you have to, you have to know that it changed in order to, to access the new information. Protobufs are different. Protobufs are binary objects uh, and they're compiled, uh, which means that if the source code changes, uh, then, then the object actually changes and they're version controlled. So, you know, uh, and the nice thing is, is they're backward compatible too. So if you're, if your client only knows how to handle a certain version of a protobuf, then it can. It can use it can use the old version. You won't necessarily get the new information, but it won't crash. Uh, so it's a it's a very nice way of of strictly typing essentially your networking protocol, which JSON doesn't do at all. Now I haven't worked with OpenAPI, so I'm not sure what that is, but it sounds like it's a it's another uh, type of protocol for 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 formatting your your network data uh, that it. it that it, and it sounds just from the name like it's an attempt to make an open source, uh, you know, open uh, definition of a you know a specification for 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 doing the stuff. And, and this tool lets you convert back and forth between the two. Right. Yeah. 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 So Open API, which was formerly known as Swagger, if people have heard of that before, oh, right. yeah. okay. mm-hmm. uh, is a way to define your your API structure mm-hmm. uh, in such a sort of regular way that you could have machine generate clients that can interact with that structure. Um, so it 100% makes sense to me that one option would be to have uh, protobuf representations be one of those formats that you could spit out with this Gnostic tool. Hmm. Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's pretty neat. I'm, I'm sure if people have seen online, if you've ever looked at an API specification and had a try it out button and you, know, you can sort of tell when people don't change the style sheet for this, that if you see uh, all of the get requests are green, all of the uh, puts are orange and posts are blue, I think, and deletes are red. And when you, you can sort of expand and contract those and see what the response would look like and the requests look like. Um, almost certainly somebody has been using Swagger or Open API to generate that documentation. Uh, this sort of goes the other part of that, of creating um, an actual way to interact with the service, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, my next, next uh, pick here is, I just, I just found it up this today, um, that I think, yeah, it's still in preview mode, but it's called tensorboard.dev, and it's basically an online um, way that you can use TensorFlow uh, and upload your, uh, like, doesn't cost anything, doesn't, you, you log in with your Google account, uh, free, like says here, free setup, free storage, um, and you can uh, pl- try out some machine learning algorithms and that kind of stuff. 
stuff and throw up your data and use t- and TensorFlow um, online, similar to how we were doing the the Swift online stuff with the IBM um, Blue something or other they called it. Uh, but yeah, I just found it up with this today. I just thought I, throw, I thought it was an interesting pick. And since we've been talking about machine learning in machine language in the past, no machine learning in the past, uh, thought I would throw this in here for people to have a look at. Interesting. So is it? It seems a lot like the Jupyter notebooks that I've seen people mm-hmm. use for machine learning and, and Python in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know if this is like that? Like this is definitely not my area of expertise. I'm just going yeah, off of what, either, what it way. seems like. <laughs> yeah, not my much either. But yeah, it does have a, it does have links to back to t- TensorBoard and TensorFlow. Um, yeah, to me, it almost gonna... feels like GitHub for TensorFlow. Yeah, but you can run your, your as far, I, what I got out of it. You could run 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 your models and upload your data and have uh, take advantage of, of uh, Google's TensorFlow stuff to figure stuff out. Right? They've got some hands-on videos here. There's a hands-on with TensorBoard a video. There's TensorBoard on GitHub, um, and there's also uh, links back to, to uh, TensorFlow. And I, I just thought it was interesting game because because we were talking about uh, I think we were talking about Chris um, Latner is uh, is championing the Swift um, language over at uh, at Google or yeah. as, as a server side language. Right? Yeah, I, I take back my last statement. As I as I look further down the uh, the website, it's it's not like GitHub for TensorFlow at all. It basically, if you look at the FAQ at the bottom under what is TensorBoard, mm-hmm. TensorBoard is TensorFlow's visualization toolkit, enabling enabling you to track metrics like loss and accuracy, visualize the model graph, view histograms of weights, biases, et cetera, et cetera. So one thing when you're training a model, machine learning model, uh, you basically have to uh, run your training algorithm on huge amounts of data. And one of the interesting things is that you have, it, it, there's, there's a balance. So you have your your training data, which is what you trade your, train your model on, but then the actual predictability of the model, in other words, how good is the model predicting other data, uh, depends on a bunch of different things. And one interesting thing is that if you if you try to train your model too much in some sense, you can you can do what's called overfitting, which which basically means you start to fit a model to the noise in your data, which is which is not what you want to do, uh, because you want you want your model to be very general and and fit other data. But again, if you have just if you have an infinite number of variables and you know infinite number of uh, amount of training time, you can you can fit those variables to every little random noise wiggle in your in your curve if you want, uh, which which is wrong. You don't want you don't want that. But but it's it's a common problem. So one thing that you you tend to do is you look at the fits over time as you're training over how many how many training cycles do you go through and you'll and you'll see that uh, that over time you know the more if you do it too much you'll see the accuracy uh, when you when you apply it to outside data starts to go down. So this kind of thing. So one thing that you, you have to do is you have to visualize your data at, at a lot of steps. You have to stop the training process, plot some results, see how they're doing, and then keep going or decide whether you want to keep going or not. So this kind of thing uh, is actually seems like it'd be really useful for doing that. And in general, there's you know there's no there's no uh, you know there's no you know one one stop you know fits all one size uh, one size fits all yeah. solution for that kind of thing. But it looks like this toolkit is is tailor made to work with TensorFlow for doing exactly that kind of thing. So so it seems kind of kind of a kind of like a useful thing. It does mm-hmm. also let you upload the stuff to to a central storage area. It seems like. 
and that's where that's where I got the GitHub idea. But it's but it's definitely more of the visualization toolkit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Trying out the um, example collab at the very top there, mm-hmm. um, and you have little cells that you can click and run individual steps. Definitely makes me think that this is similar to Jupyter notebooks uh, in sort of look and feel. Mm-hmm. People can and run their stuff uh, well, right there. I bet you, you know, this, while I bet you this is a Jupyter notebook. <laughs> Seriously, could could be. I don't yeah. know where there must be available on GitHub or something, right? TensorFlow, TensorBoard on GitHub. Let's see what it says. I'm running a step and it seems like it's downloading data. Might be stuck. Let's click the next box and see what it does. Because really, Tensor, what TensorFlow is is a bunch of Python libraries that you pull into yeah. whatever you want to run your Python. Well, not necessarily Python. It could be Swift or whatever. Yep. Anyway, just thought I'd put it up there for people to have a look at. Yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. I'm training a model right now on 60,000 samples <laughs> and validating on 10,000 samples. I don't know what it's doing, but I can click, <laughs> click, click. I could tell you that. Get nice graphs and charts at the end there. Uh, it is still Violet. processing something. There's some sort of loss in accuracy. That's the thing that I was here. talking about with the overfitting. It is on mm-hmm. Epoch 4 of 5 right now. Presumably there will be a fifth one. And let me see what it does at the very end. Because the very last step is upload to tensorboard.dev. Um, mm-hmm. So let me see what happens. And this is done. Okay. I'm sure it did really cool stuff. I don't see a visualization. So oh, because it only runs on Linux. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> I'm running the uploader now. Let's see if this does anything. I'm sure this is... I'm sure. Continue. Yes. No. Do I type it? No, oh, I type. I don't have an authorization code. Mm. Do I, am I making up one? Oh, you gotta probably get sign up to get one. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so speaking of um, of OAuth and OpenID Connect, yeah, yeah. I would have to choose my Google accounts and authenticate there. All right, I'm not going to do that stuff, but I'm going to assume that it was going to do cool stuff. I wish I had a graph to show you guys, but it doesn't doesn't have a graph in this one. Bummer. All right. So my last pick is sort of a. Um, I was telling the guys on the weekend on Slack that I uh, within a few hours of struggling, I managed to get uh, Device Tracker running on Catalyst. Um, um, I have a Mac OS version of it running and uh, Jaime suggested I do a talk on it so it's kind of an interesting idea so um, just to relay some of the experience I had with it it is literally just one I have a legacy app that started off as mostly Objective-C uh, I don't even think I had a storyboard in it from the very beginning in two, 2010 it was a bit you know master detail app built with core data um, all, like I said all in Objective-C all the, everything was written in code um, a few years ago I wanted to get to around the time of the iPhone 6 I wanted to get this Split view controller working on it, so I uh, learned how to import import it into sw- into a split view controller to get the free you know iPad iPhone uh, sorry iPhone six plus um, split view layout. And um, the the thing is that what Apple has been saying is if you have an iPad app, you can bring it over to to uh, Mac OS. But essentially, th- this is a universal app that I've built, so it's an iPhone and an iPad app. So what happens when you click the button? It does a few things. It adds some entitlements. It adds the sandboxing in because um, all Mac apps have to have a sandbox sandbox component if they're if they're going out to the app the Mac App Store um, and um, yeah so it, it converted it over uh, I did it did complain about a few things like for instance I had uh, added a couple of web views in there years ago to just have some information and a help screen that I and you know wanted to be able to have people click on a, a link to go to support email and that kind of stuff um, those were actually unfortunately they were UI UI web views they had to be upgraded to to WebKit web views um, so that was you know a couple of lines of code to change those. 
those and set some constraints up. And then um, once I did that, I was able to actually get the, the app ported over to the Mac OS. That said, I do have the ability to uh, upload photos into the app, and I'm finding that um, the call to um, load up the photo library, you still have the, you know, the, the, if, if the photo, if there's a camera available, if the photo library is available, then you can um, import images. But what I'm, ha- what I'm finding is I, I probably have to go in and rework a bit of the code because when I um, click on to add a photo, it opens up a, a, a dialog box and shows me uh, an empty set of albums. So it doesn't actually read my photos library in inside of uh, the Mac. Uh, but I, I'm, to be honest, I'm finding the photos library has been buggy for years on Mac because um, it depends on how the, uh, I think how the apps implement it. Sometimes you get access to the album, sometimes you don't. Um, in this case, I'm getting nothing, but I did try the camera yesterday. I am actually able to take a picture and store it into the app. Uh, so that's working pretty well. And so one of the things I might have to do, I was reading through what the Ray Weatherlick book on Catalyst and uh, what they are doing in their, in their app is they've, um, they're using multitasking to bring up the photos app and, and that app beside by each. And um, I did add multitasking into the app a few years ago. So I am able to open photos up and then I just have, so if I implement the drag and drop uh, uh, protocols, then I can uh, drag and drop maybe into a collection view or into, or into an image view or something like that. Um, you know, when you handle the drag, right? Uh, and I'll be able to have my images running in there. So I think um, it's kind of cool. I think once you, you get you get out of the box, you get like, you know, all the, the whole Mac toolbox. And as we used to call it back in the day, um, you get like a menu file edit window. You can look at how to deal with multiple windows if you need to do that. Um, but essentially, it opens a single window app. Like I think uh, the example apps that Apple's put up on the App Store, like I think, Ma- um, not Maps, uh, I think Music App is available on Catalina. Um, Stocks app is available on Catalina. But you, you don't open multiple windows. You just open, it's just like like the iPad app ported over. So it's pretty cool. Um, I got that, you know, look, probably took me like uh, maybe a couple of three hours to get it up and running. And now I'm just going to go through and tweak uh, tweak some features and, and uh, see what I can do, right? So, and if I add the drag and drop for uh, the Mac, it'll also work drag and drop with iPad, right? Using multitasking. So yeah, it's been a fun time. I, I find it interesting because it's um, it's apparently more than just checking a box, but it is pretty cool that at least that first step of it is pretty easy. Yeah, uh, I think yeah, I think if you have a finished, if you have a properly finished iPad app, right? Like if your if your app does everything you need it to do on, on the iPad, for the most part, everything works. Like um, I even like going back to the very beginning with the scary monster tutorial that Ray wrote in his mother in law's basement. Um, you know, I incorporated that to import and export records years and years ago using you know NS Code and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, that sort of works too. The difference is that, you know, um, when I first wrote the app, remember how you could you could um, load documents in, into iTunes and you could use iTunes to drag them in and out on the Mac um, and import them, export them? Uh, I had to use that functionality that kind of, so it, that doesn't really make sense in, in the Mac, you know, so I have to come up with another way to do that. But I can email records. Like I can, if I export a record from, uh, I did have export to email and that works out of the box too, which is kind of cool so you know and, and you basically get um because it's a multi-view split view uh app you get the split view on the mac as well and you can scale the window up and all that kind of stuff like a lot of those kind of things that you would have to do with app kit are, are done for you kind of thing right so that's cool yeah so i think i think it's going to be you're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of apps coming over from from ipad world ipad os to mac os it, it makes makes perfect sense oh and the, the answer to the question about last week we were trying to figure out why you have to have a separate uh why you have to pay twice um in 
order for a Mac app to be on the Mac App Store, they change the bundle ID. So it has a different identifier at the very beginning. I think it's, I think it's like Mac App Catalyst or something like that. Uh, let me just see here. But yeah, it changes the bundle ID on the Mac version away from the iOS version. So the, like the iPad and I, iOS uh, phone app um, have the same bundle ID, but um, this is my X11. Well, and it would be sold through a different app store anyway, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. A different revenue stream and all that, right? Yeah, yeah uh, I have a couple yeah. of apps that I'd like to try it on. I just, I'm not on Catalina yet. Yeah. In particular, my poker tourney timer oh, right, yeah. was was uh, purely an iPad app that's used as a, it's a, essentially a poker tournament clock mm. been around for years. Would be perfect on the on the Mac. Right. And I think it would probably be a pretty easy port too because it's a relatively simple app. Mm-hmm. So I, I presumably, I suppose you could make um, put in some code that says like if it's Mac, then do this, and if it's you know iOS, do something else, right? Like one of the things that we, we wanted to do was be able to import and export from, from like a spreadsheet. Well, what does UI user interface idiom resolve to when you're running on the Mac? What's that? Remember UI user interface idiom, which still exists, but in a different form. It's in it's inside the uh, uh, the trait collection. There's a trait collection. Uh, I think it's in the trait collection, or it might be in the size class. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a property called user interface idiom, mm-hmm. which resolves to uh, either iPad or iPhone or uh, in, oh, right, yeah, yeah, of okay. that type. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so it would be interesting to see if you run it on the Mac, what it what it returns. Yeah. So so the bundle ID changes on like on iOS, it's my reverse domain and then the, the name of my app, right, or the the code for my app. Yep. And then, but the the bundle ID on Catalyst is Mac Catalyst and then dot and then your reverse reverse domain and then right. uh, same same ID, right? So in theory, if if you had to, you could just uh, you could just pull the plist property and parse it to see if this is the Mac version instead right, of your right. iPhone version. But it, that's a very hacky way to do it. Okay, like you said, if it, if the idiom thingy works, yeah, right? yeah, it would, yeah, I, it'd be really interesting it. to see what that what that gives if you run the Mac. Yeah, yeah, more homework. Great. <laughs> yep. Yeah, tell us next week, Tim. Yeah, if I survive the weekend, that is. All right. Well, I guess that's it for the week. Uh, hey, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with a hair. All right, Mark, if people want to get in touch with you. You didn't ask me if I have a pick. Oh, do you have a pick? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's a thought that counts, Tim. So, so, that so counts. Mark, yeah. Mark if, yeah. if people wanted to send you ideas for picks, how yeah. would they do that? Mark R at smapsoft.com. All right. My name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next week we'll say bye-bye bye bye this has been another episode of the more than just code podcast this is mike vanogmans mtjc's favorite voiceover artist for some reason if you want to find out more about the show you can visit the more than just code website at mtjc.fm there you can find a summary and show notes of each episode we list links to the apps code and news that we mentioned on the show If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast's Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.
that the, is that the game seven of the World Series that's on right now? It'll soon be all over, but the crying. Yeah. What's the score? Let's see. Has it been an exciting? Was zero zero last time I looked? Is it like a as like a exciting series or? You know, I haven't been watching. I have not been watching it, but it's been interesting because the mm-hmm. Nationals, who are not the favorites, mm-hmm. who won the first few games, and oh, it looked yeah, okay. like they were going to have an easy time at it. But then the Astros, who are the favorites, won the next three in a row. Oh wow! And then the that's, Nationals that's... tied it up the next game, so it's tied three to three. Okay. And now it's game seven, and the Astros are leading one to nothing in the end. So of the nobody course. was down three games, like because that's usually that's really hard to come back from, right? Yeah, that's only uh, happened once. And yeah. do you remember who did that? I'm going to say the Boston Red Sox. Cause you, I can, You're I can absolutely feel, right. I feel the, the grin Boston on your Red face. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And you're right. I do have a grin on my face. <laughs> Boston Red Sox 2004. Yes, I, I sense, I sense the joy in your question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I certainly wouldn't have asked the question if it was the Yankees who had done that, for sure. Right. Was, yeah, yeah. Was well, there a big rivalry between Yankees and the Red Sox? Oh, huge, huge rivalry. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that's the team that the Red Sox came back against. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, even, so even, for, even more glorious victory. So there's a long history to this. So for the Red Sox didn't win the World Series for 86 years. Yeah, this is a Babe Ruth story? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. And so it, after after being the team up until 1918, being the team that won the World Series most out of anyone. Right. Uh, not that there were that many. There were only about 15 of them, but the Red Sox won, I think, six or seven of those 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. And that started the curse of the Bambino, right? Curse of the Bambino. And then the Yankees went on to become, I have to admit it, the dominant baseball team of the next <laughs> 85 years or so. Really? Oh yeah, yeah, by far. Yeah, by yeah, far. Babe Ruth didn't play that long. Yeah. No, no, no. He didn't. He didn't. No, but yeah. but certainly the first ten or fifteen years of that yeah. was dominated by Babe Ruth and and uh, Lou Gehrig and people like that. Lou Gehrig, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, then later the Yankees had people like Joe DiMaggio and, and Roger Maris and Yogi Berra. What was the Lou Gehrig disease? Is that ALS? It is ALS. Yeah, ALS. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm, yeah I remember watching the Lou Gehrig story on Black and White in a movie. Yep. So there you go. How's the baseball game going? Oh, forgot about that. Let's see. Four to two, top of the ninth. Oh, really? Wow. Four to two nationals. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, I'm going to turn the TV on. Because <laughs> this, this is this is big news. This is a crazy series. Yeah. So the nationals were winning the first three games. You said or first two games. They won the first two games, and then the Astros came back and won three in a row. Yeah. And then Houston won. Sorry, the uh, Nationals won Game Six, mm-hmm. and here we are in Game Seven. So, Jaime, are you conflicted between which team to root for because you're Texas and your Washington affiliations? Yeah, it's a weird one because I, I don't really have any strong reason to root for the Nationals yeah. or against them. Yeah. Um, it's it's, kind it's of Washington, D.C., by the way, Tim. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. okay. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but but it still holds. Yeah. It, it still holds because I'm a Seattle Mariners fan and the Astros are in our division, so it's kind of like, mm, not great. But then I have the Texas background, so that sort of weighs heavily. Mm. So uh, I was rooting for the Astros sort of by default, but it'll be interesting to see the uh, the Walgreens team here win if they, they hold on to this four to two. <laughs> yeah, so it, it came to my attention along with many others that the Washington Nationals W that particular script oh, it looks like a Walgreens. Used, oh yeah, it yeah. looks like the Walgreens logo. Yeah, right, right. Interesting. Yeah, and and Tim, our uh, our two teams are facing off yet again in the MLS Cup. Our teams for oh for the the uh, soccer, Seattle soccer. and and Toronto. Yeah, we, we so were talking about soccer while you were getting your delivery. Oh, did I miss that? Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. We're 
FC and and yeah, Mark Mark was asking me what we call soccer because we were talking about football earlier, right? So we call yeah, it soccer, but we have a football club. Both both teams were underdogs in their respective games, and they're they're about to play off. Uh, so the LAFC was the favorite against Seattle, and Seattle won. Um, I think it was three to one last night, and then it looks like today Toronto FC upset defending champion Atlanta. So now we'll play in the MLS Cup for the third time in four years. So that, uh, that's pretty cool. Wow. What, what channel is the World Series on? I thought it was like on NBC, NBC, I thought. Not, not showing up. Oh, unless the game was already supposed to be over and just ran over. Let's see. Oh, it's on Fox. Oh, Fox, Fox, sorry. Fox That's is right, because Joe Buck, Fox Joe Buck showing was calling. the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> What's going what? on here? In my guide, it says Big Bang Theory is on Fox. Oh, maybe oh, the, game... the game ran over. Here it is. Okay, I got the game now. Yeah. All right. Oh, Houston's got two men on. Yeah, oh, no, if, Washington, if Houston, Washington's got two men on in the top. If Houston the... ends up falling, they're going to kick themselves over, I think it was the first inning. Maybe it was the second inning where they had a bunch of guys on base, no outs, and then slowly came out with just a single run in what should have been like a three, four run inning. I'm sure they'll be kicking themselves if they don't get this. Well, not to mention that they were heavily favored, right, in the series. Yeah, it's really weird because it's, it's such a long sort of way to, to, to determine a champion. It's a little different than like one and done, like you have in other playoff systems. Right. Like, oh, we could have won. I was like, yeah, bro, but you had like five other chances that you could have done that. Yeah. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Hey, Siri Bob. Oh, I said Siri Bob. <laughs> Which Bob? Wow, base is loaded now. It was one out. This could all fall apart. Yeah, I love it. Kind of pulling for the Nationals because they were the under, underdogs and Houston, Houston's Houston been pretty good the last couple of years. And of course, my Red Sox are, are against, uh, have, to, have to have been against the Astros in playoffs. Mm. I'm pulling for the Nationals. Yeah, all right. Well, I'm going to go find some cough medicine or something, I guess. All right. Do a tequila shot. That usually works. Yeah, tequila, yeah. tequila shot and, nice, and maple nice, syrup. Uh, That'll fix it. Hmm? Tequila shot that? and maple syrup. That'll fix it. Tequila and maple syrup or whiskey and maple syrup? That Either sounds one. better. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. All righty, folks. All right. Talk to you guys later. Night. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.